0: Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals and entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups or conferences, trade shows, and other events, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. We want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money and most importantly to do it all with no stress. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's literally no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame also super easy to use and you can embed your tickets in your website or you can use our own website builder, which is really simple. We have amazing options to apply all kinds of discounts and all the features you'd expect from a much more expensive system like QR code check-in. Go to eventsframe.com, that's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com for a free, no-risk, one-month trial. Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Roman Grigoriev uh calling from london he's the founder of uh, Splinter, which is a company that links together photographers and things for event producers and we're going to talk a bit about his story and also how people can leverage content to maximize engagement so hi roman how's it going
1: hi dan all good thank you very much thank you
0: so Roman, just to set the scene like where are you tell us where you are, are you on soho are you in an office or are you at home like what where are you right now
1: no, no, so we, we, we are in a place called Waira. Uh, so it's Telefonica, the large uh, mobile telco uh, provider. So they have an, a corporate accelerator called Waira. And we got into the accelerator program two years ago. And so we're still here with them. Okay. So that's bang, bang in the middle of Soho uh, next to Piccadilly Circus.
0: Cool. So Roman, we were just talking before the podcast. And you've got quite an interesting story. Like you were born... Uh, in Estonia, when it was still part of the Soviet Union, and you ended up coming to England. So, I think it's just good to talk a bit about your, your background, like how, how things started for you, how you got into entrepreneurship,
1: and how you ended up coming to the UK. Um, absolutely. So, always been sort of an entrepreneur, basically a problem solver. That, that, that's what gets me out of bed. I see problems people have, and I want to solve them. Uh, could have been, could have become a programmer or a developer. Instead, chose the entrepreneurial route. Started experimenting with businesses in Estonia still when I was in uni. But then just what, real- year,
0: what year was that like? Was it, I guess the Soviet Union had ended by this time and it was a free economy and everything?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and Estonia is a very different world from. So Estonia is way ahead of. All of Soviet Union, former Soviet Union.
0: Was it was it wealthy even during the Soviet Union? Was it like wealthier than other parts of the Soviet yeah, Union? Yeah,
1: yeah. It was officially called a window to Europe for Soviet Union. So all the sort of Soviets from any republic coming, even from Moscow, coming to Estonia, was saying, "Oh wow, uh, it's it's so cool, it's so European." So Estonia was that window, and it was closer to Finland and Stockholm, a sort of Sweden, than to Soviet Union. So it, not necessarily wealthy. None of Soviet Union was wealthy, but it was more open more European sure. and even in the 90s when all these sort of terrible things were happening in Russia in Estonia we had uh, the Prime Minister aged 25 27 all the cabinet ministers were very young very technocrats and the whole idea about Estonia is that it's so small we were only 1.4 million people and there there aren't any natural resources so there is no basically there is no corruption there is no it's it, it just proper European state but it's also small, and so for me, um, I grew up basically in a European state. Even though it's sort of, uh, I, I grew up initially in Soviet Union, but then in the nineties, um, in Estonia, I, I was almost like growing up in Finland or somewhere else. You didn't feel the difference. You didn't feel this uh, post-Soviet, uh, I don't know, legacy. Wasn't
0: was Skype founded in Estonia?
1: Exactly, time, so. ex- ex- exactly, exactly. And I, IT started taking off very soon, sort of in two thousands. We the government was all e government by mid to thousands of notice uh, so all the taxes could be filed online, then all the internet banks, uh, we had internet banks in 2000, 2001, where I mean, we're still in Britain, we're getting to that now with uh, Revolut and everyone else.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually an Estonian e-resident, I've never done anything with it, I just I just thought I'd apply for it, so it looked interesting, and I went through the process and I had to go to the Estonian consulate in Prague and get my e-residency card and stuff, and it's, uh, it's quite yeah. funny, you know, interesting program.
1: But, but it's, yeah, and you know, even opening companies in Estonia, it took me, I mean, of course, in Britain then I managed to open it in an hour and half but in estonia even 15 years ago when i opened my first company it took me like two hours so it, it's always been super smooth super easy but the challenge was it's 1.4 million uh and relatively it's it just that when i moved out of estonia 15 years ago startups weren't even though it was very technological companies startups weren't a thing yet in europe not just in estonia and so i could see that there isn't anything you can you can't basically change the world you can't uh, build something huge out of estonia you could be very local business but not sort of global of course now that has changed and estonia has for 1.4 million we i think have five unicorns um so it's doing really well now but back then we weren't and so i thought where can i go and i went to america spent a bit of time there but it was for me just for my liking too far too too much of a commute to europe uh and london seemed like the ideal place
0: yeah and i guess you spoke english as well so it was a logical place for
1: this reason Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, Estonia is very literate and English is, well, there are two languages, Russian and Estonian. Uh, And for everyone who is ethnically Russian, like myself from Estonia, they speak two languages and English is always third and you speak it from great to or something. So, yeah, no problem. Even though coming in here and when you hear a Cockney accent or something, that that took some time to getting used to. And now it's fine. And
0: what did you do? Like, what was the
1: first thing you did in the UK when you arrived? Property. You'd be surprised, but I sort of capitalized on my Russianness uh, and went into property. I then did my master's degree in Oxford Brooks. I became the first Russian speaking chartered surveyor. So I was valuing properties uh, across London, all those multi million. How was this
0: like? To tell, do you, you must have a couple of interesting stories because like you mentioned before you were dealing with a lot of these, you know, oligarchs or kind of junior oligarchs who were buying property. Like, what, what was like some crazy things that happened with with these guys? I imagine I always have, I have images of them just turning up with suitcases full of money, saying, "Find me, find <laughs> me a place in Mayfair." or was like.
1: Yeah, so so I, I missed that wave. Um, as far as I understand from my sort of peers back then in the mid '90s, that that was the case in the '90s when okay, London, London was kind of laundromat of the world and all, all the dirty money coming in. But then in 2000s they started screwing basically all the bolts and making sure that it doesn't happen. And by the time I entered the industry, it was not not squeaky clean, but really really clean. But the, what you'd be surprised is what we see about all those Russians, is it's, it's very different. We all think that it's always government officials or something, but there are loads of great business people who have a lot of money because it's a huge country and they don't like being there. Uh, yeah. So they come here, send their kids to schools. Uh, but what surprises me is always they, a lot of them adopted the same way uh, like Mark Zuckerberg and all the IT entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. They go and look at a house for 50 million and they walk out of a uber cap, taxi cab uh or something else wearing sneakers so no gucci belts or, yeah, or something yeah. like that So they, they ever, i mean it would still be expensive sneakers and expensive training sh- shoes yeah, yeah. but yeah no bodyguards um no nothing even though in the 90s in russia you always had those assassinations even at also normal business people when they come here they're absolutely fine they're absolutely relaxed and they love yeah so it's a very very different world
0: right right so how long did you do this for then
1: Gosh, it's from 2004 to 2000, so before I founded Splinter, so almost 10 years. But whilst I was doing property, I still sort of started dabbling in startups uh, and trying to understand the tech world. I had my mobile app development studio. Uh, then did voucher codes created a pan european voucher codes uh, website uh, and sort of l- game gaming d- gaming studio so loads of different things so uh,
0: you're using the money you made from the real estate to to, to put to start the the dab development and stuff like that
1: yeah yeah so the, the the idea was i always understood that with property at least in that reincarnation and what how i understood the market you couldn't really build Something. I mean, you, you could service hundred families and make them very happy and that's wonderful, but you couldn't make a huge dent in the universe. Uh, whereas with what we're doing now, I could see much bigger problem for much larger number of clients. Um, and yeah, so the idea was to make money in property and then invest into IT and build something bigger and better. Okay, cool. So what was next like, did you transition
0: out of a property or what, what was, how did it go?
1: So, property actually
0: was the sort of...
1: I I always saw problems with visual content forever. I understood that it doesn't... I mean, I, I saw... 10, 15 years ago, that the world is moving online. It was inevitable uh, that everything that we're doing offline now is going to be done online. Uh, All the purchases, uh, I mean, education, everything. And when something is moving from offline to online, it needs to be visualized, whether with photography or videography or in five years' time with VR or AR, that's going to happen. The same is going to happen with events. Uh, So it's just a matter of time. Now you probably have, I don't know, VR at 1 in 1,000 events. Give it five years, every single one is going to have it. And so I saw that it's it's a problem everywhere. It's broken. It's only freelancers are doing it. There is no consistent way. There is no brand that can do all of that. Uh, but I just saw it and never did anything about it. And then when I started working closing in property, uh, I came across property was one of the industries that really, really required uh, visual content on a regular basis. You can't sell properties without photography. That was evident from day one. And I came across photographers who are late, to charge ridiculous amount of prices. You then get your photos many, I don't know, months later. So it was all, all the problems were there. And I thought, gosh, we need to change that and that was the first step uh, so photography in, in our journey to help the world move from offline to online that was the first step basically photography was that light bulb moment saying that look it is actually a big problem and it is a big problem for all different industries and let's help uh, change that and yeah
0: and, and obviously you, you didn't you did this for events but were you were you running events yourself at this time or you were just did you manage to find some event producers and you could do the photography
1: for them yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, we, with events. So with my property company, we run at some events ourselves. So it's inevitably any business needs sort of any successful, or not necessarily successful, but any business needs to organize events, whether it's for them internally, for their customers, for their partners. So every business needs events, and so we were running our own and came across that problem. Uh, but now for, for our business, we're actually working with a lot of large event producers, small event organizers. So it's a whole mix. But yeah, uh, personally, so events business for me has was never sort of my main business. I never did events as a business for living, but we always organized and did loads of events. But, but when you
0: started this marketplace for photographers, did you think um, we're going to go after event producers? Or did you, did you think we could do this for anyone and they were the people who expressed interest? Or how did you end up in that kind of sector?
1: Iterations. So that was pivoting in iterations. We actually initially started with uh, property photography, then realized, gosh, actually, there there are problems and margins are wrong and loads of other things that were wrong with property. So then we pivoted to B2C. Again, the unit economics didn't stack up. And then we found that actually events is the biggest market of all has some of the biggest problems especially larger events uh and our solutions were suitable for it so yeah we had to build out funnels uh and work actively to pursue event industry ourselves
0: yeah i'm curious how you did that because obviously there's probably some people listening to this i'm just thinking who are like marketing their services to event companies like how did you how did you go about figuring out who was running events and how did you get in touch with them
1: so it's uh, it's the usual. So there is no silver bullet, uh, just like with anything. There is a whole sort of marketing 360, and it's not just marketing. It's uh, sales and business development 360. So you go from direct sales to providing content to search optimization to so- social media doesn't really work that much. Uh, but, yeah, then going to events where event organizers are, uh, that's probably one of the biggest uh, benefits for us was actually, there are events, huge conferences for event organizers. Um, and so we are a regular feature there as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But it's, it's never, that, that's what I've come to realize over the past many, many years is that there is there is never a silver bullet. Yeah, many start- funny, like-
0: Just to step in here quickly to mention our sponsor, EventsFrame, a project I'm co-founder of. And I want to mention our integrations, which we believe are the best available. Firstly, payment integrations. You can connect any payment gateway, such as Stripe, PayPal, Braintree, or even bank account or take cash. You can connect everything to EventsFrame. We also have the best marketing integrations out there, with every email marketing system, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip. And we've got deep integrations with all the social media platforms, like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. We've got thousands of events live on EventsFrame right now, Ranging from small community meetups to huge trade shows and conferences. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. That's E V E N T S F R A M E.com. Now, back to the interview. Because when I talk to event producers about how they market their events, there's all, mm. you know, different people have different areas of expertise, and some people get really good at social media and different things. But I think the main thing is just like I had one guy on who runs the marketing meetup, and he was saying, you just got to take massive action. You have to just call a lot of people you've got to be on LinkedIn find everyone email them follow up like it's just like it's a grind and I think a lot of people make the mistake nowadays of running events or or any business but especially in events like of of thinking you know they want to hide behind a computer and automate the marketing process and you can definitely do that to some extent but I still think in the beginning I have I, I don't know any businesses who didn't succeed in the beginning without just manual huge amounts of effort chasing down people you know manually
1: yeah, you're absolutely right, Dan. It, 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 it's about a lot of hard work, but they, w- with time, you then have to fine-tune and understand where you have the highest ROI, and then start fine-tuning those processes. But initially, you're absolutely right. It's You just go uh, sort of channel after channel, audience after audience, and just test uh, a lot of manual grind. But once you're seeing the results, it's about measuring and figuring out uh, sort of ROI on a specific channel and then scaling that channel.
0: So how, like, you've obviously worked with a lot of event producers with your photo service. Like, what 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 tips could you give people running events from what you've learned? Because you mentioned about leveraging content. Like, what, what have you seen that's good at how they, what they have done,
1: especially people, you know, starting running their first event or whatever? So it's it, 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 it's definitely a lot about visual. So it's not, again, no silver bullet. So it's not just one thing, and you have to experiment, and it depends whether how big the event is, uh, how many attendees, how many days it's going on for... Uh, so the first thing would be experiment don't think that once you get a i don't know a photographer or videographer or live streaming or you empower your audience to take photos and share that or whatever other solutions there are hundreds and hundreds of them uh, that something is going to work for you there are all different solutions for all different types of events in different geographies because we we work worldwide uh, and something that works here in london it doesn't work at all in Hong Kong so but the, the,
0: I think, well, what are some like basic things like for example I, I, I when I run events I encourage everyone I give it I put the hashtag everywhere I constantly tell people post on Twitter post on Instagram use this hashtag like that that's like a basic thing people can you know encouraging try to get trending on the hashtag and try to you know tag a bunch of people and get people sharing your, your content you know
1: Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's a really good one. Uh, there is a challenge that a lot of, I, I think the recent statistics are saying like 80% or 85% of all social media interactions are actually happening in those dark uh, social media nets. I, I, I private WhatsApp groups of people between themselves or colleagues between themselves sharing content, sharing uh, photos, sharing, I don't know, screenshots of presentations where you can't even track. So everything you're seeing in on Twitter or on Facebook that you are encouraging, you're actually just seeing a tip of iceberg, everything else is... Uh, WhatsApp, I mean, yeah, everyone now, I mean, so many WhatsApp groups now where just people
0: share a bunch of things, yeah. So
1: so, so basically, you should in- encourage people to or share galleries with them or, or something or content. So basically, you, you need to give them tools that you can then track. So if you're doing a presentation... how can,
0: that, I, how can Are you saying, what can, could people start sharing to WhatsApp groups, do you think? Or, or how, how could they use that kind of stuff, do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. so for example, if you're doing a, a presentation somewhere, give everyone a link to that presentation. For example, I don't know, we were using beautiful AI, whatever the, the, the service is and it actually is track and there are other companies that you can track the presentation clicks and everything so the main thing about running events any business is it has to be measurable you you really need to understand what's happening but if 90 or 80 percent of what's happening you can't control and you don't understand it's a problem longer term you can't grow it so you need to put as much as, as many metrics and as get as much information as possible out of everything you do. So if you have a presentation, share a link, uh, not just a PDF, but a link that they will share internally on their WhatsApp groups, and you will then know that whether five people looked at this presentation or 10 or 20 or 100, and then you can make decisions. Or if you're, I don't know, there are photos from your uh, event, the same thing, share it in a gallery that you can track, not Google Photos or Dropbox, but something that you can actually see how many people shared, how many people downloaded it, and which photo they downloaded, uh, and, and, and so on. So there are all these things that you really need to get a grip on, on your metrics. Otherwise, you're going blind, and you'll be doing a lot of that manual work that is necessary that we discussed with you, but you don't want to do a lot of manual work that is necessary forever. You want to do it initially, once you organize your 5, 10, 20 events, then you understand what's working and how.
0: Good idea. I think getting every presenter to put a Bitly link to the presentation.
1: a oh, Bitly link, the yeah. Slide yeah. And, and also
0: make them, I would, I would like, what I've done sometimes is they have to, every presenter has to have the same opening slide and then a, and a slide which has some information about the event, you know, with a link so people can... Awesome. You
1: know, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's that definitely the case. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that's one of the things. Uh, second thing is there, there is what we're seeing at least with bigger events but with smaller as well is the sort of walk-ins and last minute attendees so you have planned your uh, events uh, you're sort of making a huge push leading up in two three three months time to it and then suddenly sort of last minute it's it just how we are now how, how this society is built is that we sometimes do things on a spur and that's happening more and more often and you need to embrace that but also you need to encourage people to share as much as possible so you get more of those walk-ins and last minute orders because that's from what we can see it's getting bigger and bigger uh, it used to be five percent at big trade shows it used to be five percent uh, walk-ins and last minute attendees now it's growing almost doubling and we that get, can... i
0: mean even our events
1: we get something
0: which are google events for schools we get something between 30 and 50 percent registered in the last
1: month, like that. Wow! Last month or last minute? Because last, last
0: month. What well, I mean, month. that includes last minute. But yeah, in, in the last month and the last minute, you
1: know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but there are literally sort of you you have a conference for three days, and then people hear about you in the first day. Uh, they never heard of you, but then someone went to that on the first day. They shared everything online. I don't know. If they shared their presentation content. They're saying, "Oh, what a wonderful presentation!" But that's so and so. And then you have two more people walking in or 10 more people walking in or whatever, 5% more walking in. And so you but need but to encourage... How do you,
0: so how, how do you use this to get more attendees like last minute? So because the presenters haven't presented yet, are you saying the presenters should be sharing their presentation like beforehand to, to, to get people to register last minute?
1: No, no, that, that, that comes back to sort of enabling your attendees to share as much as possible and giving them all the tools. So if you're giving them the tools of, I don't know, just a screenshot... So imagine there is a great presenter, I don't know, a CEO of some company... Uh, and all they have is that attendees are taking a dodgy picture of a dodgy presentation. Instead, if you do that first slide that you said that, look, all your photos are going to be here, your presentation materials are going to be here, uh, if you like it, share it, then all this 80% of what's happening that you can't control uh, is great quality. So people, it's like with, I don't know, Airbnb is a bad example, but no one ever stayed in Airbnb when the photos and content was, rubbish one suddenly it's all great and controllable more people uh stayed in the airbnb that was their hockey stick growth and the same with events if the presentation is just a screenshot that someone did from the audience from 10th row uh it's a great presentation but if all they did is that dodgy photo or presentation not many people will walk in if you give them access to that presentation in high resolution the entire presentation a lot more people will walk in if there are not just ugly selfies or something but actually you're you as an organizer taking photos or, or someone else doesn't matter who and it's a greater content and you give these tools to attendees to share and you have to understand that they will share that outside of your control you can't do anything you can't then follow up i mean so, some of them would share on twitter and linkedin but most would actually send to their colleagues and friends and saying look i'm sitting at this conference about uh, G uh, google apps it's wonderful to hear us Here's the full presentation. Someone will see it, and if it's in good quality, they will come in the next day. So sure. the whole idea is about quality.
0: Oh, yeah, and- they can even send links to the schedule, like we use something called Shed, which gives an online schedule. You know, if you encourage people to share that, they might share it out beforehand, and people can exactly. look, click on the individual sessions and things.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it comes down again to one, one, one of the biggest trends is just sort of engagement uh, and interactivity. So if you're how events were in the past is that you come in, you listen, and it's almost one-way street. And now we're getting into this world where it has to be a lot more engaging and it has to be a lot more interactive all the time. And with these kind of tools that you're giving people, then definitely it's, they're feeling part of the whole thing, like part of the experience, not just a one-way listening. Uh, and that means that you'll have more more people coming in the next day or the next year, actually. Cool. And I want to talk a bit about photography,
0: because you know a lot about it. And and I want let's let's imagine like someone setting up an event maybe they don't have money to get a photographer but maybe they've got one of their team can run around and take pictures like how how should they be thinking about the photography of events should they have one person doing it posting continuously should they be in the sessions like should they be adding captions like how would you suggest they approach the photography At like let's say a conference or a trade show
1: so it, it, it depends because we've done everything uh, and we have experience sort of in helping really small ones to the biggest ones. So with the biggest ones, for instance, you you really wouldn't be able to do it so, uh, as in yourself. So we had uh, a large conference, artificial intelligence conference in London over three days. So they needed 30, 40 photographers because there were 300 speakers, I think 50 stages or something like ridiculous amount. So you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you basically, you simply can't. And, and of course, they needed And when you have 10,000 photos from that conference. You need them stored in a specific way. Gallery is easy to search. Facial recognition to find any speaker in a minute from anywhere. You just simply can't do it. So there are some types of conferences where you have to go with someone like us, and there is just, it, it's just impossible. But there are smaller conferences where you still need visual content. And here, you definitely can do it yourself. I mean, cameras are getting... I, I've got the latest uh, Pro Huawei. So we're testing how good the cameras are on, on phones. And we run a test uh, with the latest Huawei 30 i think it's called jesus christ it's it's seriously it's just as good as the late not the latest but just as good as the camera of course you need yeah, some skill I've,
0: I've got the new google pixel 4 phone and actually it's, it's great the, the, the quality is really really good
1: absolutely you, you just need so basically w- w- what you need is uh, either get someone to come in and train your staff to take photos because you still even with the latest camera if you are incorrectly positioning it there are certain sort of rules in visual content that sell um uh, it's yeah you you still need a bit of training but of course you would be saving a lot of money but not going without any visual content is definitely a bad idea because that's the easiest way for you to attract new customers uh for next year and and that comes down actually to uh, another so so I'm jumping uh, from one idea to another yeah. but a lot of trade shows they're saying the biggest problem for them is that for them it's a madhouse leading up to the trade shows two three months in advance so they're not doing a lot throughout the year and then when the trade event or a trade show is approaching it's all hands on deck they're suddenly sort of posting 10 times a day on social media and they're saying we know it's wrong we know we should be doing a drip campaign drip marketing every day throughout the year tagging the right by people
0: the way, this is a great tip i think i've heard people say the same thing just you know, you've got a bunch of great pictures from the from the conference or the trade show just start sharing them out over the year. Hey, what a great time we had this wow. session! Here's a link to the link to the speaker. You know, posting it on everything on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I think that is a great tip.
1: Exactly, and so and that's why you should be taking photos yourself. It doesn't matter whether it's photographer, so, so sort of your brother-in-law or someone uh, or a professional company, but you should definitely have great quality photos. Whoever takes them and post them regularly, t- tag everyone and throughout sort of different uh, social medias. Uh, and th- that, that's where the interesting part comes. in. if you got loads and loads of speakers, you can use facial recognition technology to actually. So if you've taken thousands of photos, it does take a lot of time to find a specific person. But you can actually, with facial recognition, you can pick a specific gallery just for one person. Drag and drop their photo. You have from all those thousands of photos only their ten best photos, and you go and tag for one day that person, etc. So there are all this. Th- there is so much tech out there for events uh it's just of.
0: and and how does the facial recognition work i guess you, you have to take a picture of everyone who attends the event and then when you take a picture of the event it, it, you can pick out the their face from from the picture that was on registration
1: yeah you, you can do that or you can do with uh f- so for example we, we have that um, i don't know if you know of london tech week um so, so there, there is uh they're like 300 or 150 or 300 events uh, tech related events around uh, london so we're working with one big company that what does that i don't know like 15 anchor big anchor events but they're saying that look we actually need all the fo- so so some sometimes we have all the biggest uh so this company they have all the biggest speakers but sometimes uh, big speakers come to fringe events as well um so they would uh, They wouldn't have any photos of them, but they have all the connections with the media. So they're saying, I don't know, we have a CEO of, let's say, Facebook uh, attending a different event, but we don't have their photo. How can we find it? So what we're doing with them, for instance, is that we're providing just our technology platform where everyone will upload the photos. So we're not taking those photos at all. Uh, We're just providing the tech. They are uploading all the photos there. Everything is automatically facial recognition tagged. And then someone from any, any event organized during London Tech Week can drop an image just of any person, of you, Dan, for example, into our gallery. And then you have all the photos of you from all the events uh, together. So it works only for big events and sort of multi-day conferences like, I don't know, uh, MWC uh, or London Tech Week. Uh, But this technology is open out there. There are so many solutions. It's just ridiculously easy uh, and saves a lot of time because if you're as an operation, so if you're a small event, it's fine. And if you have, people attending it's not a problem but as you grow and as you have tens of or dozens of events a year and worldwide and you have all these different galleries and you need a photo of a main sponsor who is sponsoring all the uh, all, all, all the events around the world for you how do you do that you can either put an intern and they will spend 10 hours doing that or you can just use this facial recognition technology or logo recognition technology so there is loads of stuff helping sure. out
0: uh. hey j- just one final thing like how um what have you seen as like a good place? People using photography and things. Where do you think the best place to promote, just to, to post your pictures and promote them? Is obviously people should be posting everywhere, I guess. But have you seen like any eighty twenty? Like what, where people have had the most success in sharing their pictures and driving engagement and getting attendees? It
1: really depends on top of your attendees. So it depends what, what are you running, sort of, if you're B two B or B two C, because trade, many trade shows are B two C. Let's start with B two B, kind of B two B events it's linkedin it's without any doubt linkedin is a lot more demanding than any other probably instagram the most demanding uh in terms of high quality but linkedin is the second most demanding in terms of high quality twitter is you can put post any rubbish and it's fine uh but on linkedin you really need high quality facebook again so so it'll be instagram if you want to attract any attention but you won't get any b2b there at all uh if you're going b2b then it's linkedin then Facebook than Twitter.
0: Roman I think we're more or less out of time. Th- thank you very much for your time. It was a really interesting chat and a few a few really great really great tips. Like where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, so we're at splento.com and yeah any questions we'd be delighted to help just uh, even just for advice because we literally work with loads of event managers organizers all around the world of different types and sizes. So just happy to speak and share knowledge from across the world.
0: Cool. Well, thank you very much. Really interesting chat. And the best of luck for you with the company and everything else. Thank
1: you so much, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? EventsFrame event ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com.